Hey, Rockbridge, it is an awesome weekend. It is D-Now weekend. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students hearing God's Word, having fun, experiencing fellowship, seeds planted, lives changed for eternity. Right now, can we praise God, all of our bridge builders, and what God has done and is doing amongst the next generation? Can we praise God for that and thank God for that? <clears throat> um, you know, I, I tell you a little bit of my personal testimony that God moved in my heart and my wife Beth's heart because of things like Disciple Now. And I thank God that we're a church committed to investing, planting seeds from the Word of God into the next generation. I say that as a pastor. I say that because of my past experience and grace that God put into my life through things like D-Now. And now I say that as a parent. So praise God, praise God, praise God. All right, so we are continuing, church, through 1 Corinthians, verse by verse, through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 15 this weekend. And, and listen, I know we have guests, we have people new to Rockbridge, maybe people new to Christianity or coming back to Christianity. And let me just tell you a little bit about us as Christ followers. We believe, because it, Jesus believed it, but we believe the Word of God, uh, the 66 books, the Old and New Testament, are authoritative and sufficient for us to have full and abundant life in Christ if we walk in accordance with the principles, the insights of God's Word. We believe God's Word can read us. We believe God's Word is the primary way God speaks to us. So we even say this, don't, never say God is silent with your Bible closed. So we turned 20 years old a couple of months ago, and we decided what better way to mark our anniversary than to spend a long time in one single book of the Bible, verse by verse, submitting ourselves to what God would say to us through His living and active Word. So that's why we're doing this. We're like on part 20 or 21. I've lost count, uh, but it's been a great ride. So what's going to happen in chapter 15 is Paul's going to kind of show us the other side of a coin, okay? So for about 14, 15 chapters, we have been talking about the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, and, and how that is a ripple effect in history that touches or will touch and affect everything, but it's also a ripple effect when it, we put this man, the God-man, on the throne of our heart, we allow his cross to work upon our heart. So what Paul's going to do in chapter 15 is he's going to go from, hey, we've been looking here, we're looking here, and now we're going to look here at an empty tomb. And we're going to start talking about the resurrection. What The way to understand this is sort of like heads and tails. They're two sides of the same coin. The crucifixion, the resurrection, two sides of the same coin. Join with me as we pray together. God, I pray that right now you'd open our minds and our hearts Open the minds and hearts of everybody listening online and in our six physical locations. God, may we get what you have for us from your word today. God, we need to be humbled. We need to be undivided and undistracted, and we need your help in those things. God, we do not need to hear the word of God naturally. We need to hear it supernaturally. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you here right now to give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us from your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may recognize this. Uh, this is a picture of the Marines at Iwo Jima. Significant in our nation's history. This battle was bloody, and it was uh, won eventually by the Americans in the Pacific Theater. Began to mark uh, the, the movement along the island chains of the Pacific. 
and eventually the United States and allies defeated Japan in 1945. Here's an interesting tidbit of story. I don't know if you know when the last Japanese soldier surrendered in World War II. It was in 1974, 29 years after the nation of Japan had surrendered. So I look at this image, and, and it, yes, it, and it represents sacrifice and, and patriotism, but it also represents the victory that the Allies won in, in, the, in the Pacific Theater, at least, in World War II. And yet that occurred in 1945, and the last Japanese soldier surrendered 29 years later, which is an illustration of this point that sometimes we have undeniable facts without appropriate application. Let me say that again. Undeniable facts, the United States and its allies won World War II against the Germans and the, and, and the Italians in Europe and predominantly the Japanese in the Pacific Theater. But this soldier, despite the undeniable facts that this represents, this particular soldier for 29 years did not apply the application. 29 years hiding, 29 years running, we might say 29 years for failure to get past what, it, what was an undeniable fact, failure to appropriate a new reality, failure to live in accordance with what actually happened in 1945, and finally, 29 years later, you know, there's an aha moment. This right, that illustration explains Paul's concern about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul's concern about the totality of the gospel that have undeniable historical facts that back up and make up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's concern would be, hey, we can have undeniable facts, but we fail to appropriate those facts. We still fight a battle that's already been won. We fail to receive the fruits of Jesus' victory because we fail to apply by faith what he did achieve undeniably on the cross and through the resurrection of the empty tomb. So our prayer for ourselves, for our young people this weekend is, yes, let's recall the undeniable facts, but let's be sure we make the appropriate application of victory that has been achieved eternally and irrevocably, thanks be to God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we join the Word of God. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel literally means good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. So we heard the gospel. We are saved by the gospel. We stand upon the gospel. And he go, but he puts an if in here. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, this little phrase, in vain, could mean recklessly, heedlessly, ineffectively. This little word drives Paul's concern in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians because he's going to come back to it or mention some it or use some Greek uh, derivative of this little word, this little phrase, four times. So this is what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, we have undeniable facts, the news of the gospel, but my concern is we would fail to apply those facts to our very lives and our existence. Let me say it this way. For Paul, it's the undeniable facts, which is the news, the information, the knowledge of the gospel, coupled with the revelation of what they mean for us. And that's what makes the news good. It's not just news, it's good news. It's not just facts, it's good facts, right? That they should not be effective. So Paul doesn't want us to be like the Japanese soldier 
unsurrendered, 29 years after, undeniable victory. Paul doesn't want us to be like that. A crucified and resurrected Jesus, and we're unaffected by it, or we're not enjoying the full fruits of that victory in our lives, wherever we are in the continuum of our journey. Now, what, what does that sort of look like? Well, I think for some of us, when we hear the gospel, think of the gospel, especially if you grew up kind of in the Bible Belt, the gospel is sort of like this. It's life jacket gospel. The go we're in a storm created by sin, right? And we can't save ourselves. We'll drown. And the gospel is sort of God throwing us a life vest. We put it on, and, that, and that's about it. We're saved. We've got our ticket out of the earth. We've got our ticket to heaven, and we're just saved by the gospel. And that's true, but it would be an incomplete application of the full victory, of the full effects of the gospel. So imagine this. Imagine, you know, we're drowning, right? We're drowning in sin or shame or guilt. We're drowning the storms of sin and the storms of the fallen world, the storms of our brokenness, the storms of our enslavement, the storms of our hurts, our habits and hang-ups. Those waves are like crashing all around as we're going up, we're going down. And Jesus jumps in, gives us this life test, drags us to shore after we've swallowed all this water and just leaves us there in a hump on the sandy beach, right? Then... The rest of our life, if we don't fully appropriate the gospel, we sort of look like this. People jumping over a low bar. Look what I did, right? And that would be failing to realize and appropriate all the gospel has in fact achieved for us. That we're not just saved by the gospel, we also stand upon, live from, and live for the gospel. So I was thinking about this, and I was like, this is kind of what the gospel is like, okay? This is kind of what the gospel is like. It's kind of like Iron Man, okay? Now, I know there's some Avengers people that are here, and I'm going to get some facts wrong, okay? So you're going to say, I don't know if he's right on that, but just bear with me. Give me some grace. I'm not going to get the gospel wrong, I hope, right? I might get Iron Man a little bit wrong. So give me some grace and bear with me. So think about it, right? Iron Man became Iron Man because he was, uh, was kind of like hit by a booby trap and this metal shrapnel went into his chest that starts gravitating toward his heart. So they put this magnetic kind of device chest plate in that keeps the magnets away from the heart, right? The gospel keeps sin from killing us or putting us in the face of the shrapnel of God's wrath, okay? The gospel does that. But it does something more. So also, there's a nuclear-powered reactor. It's kind of like a nuclear battery. I was a nuclear operator in the Navy. I'm not sure how that works, but bear with the illustration, okay? So there's, it's called the arc reactor. So not only does this keep, this, not only does this save him from dying from shrapnel, it also powers this suit. The gospel saves us, keeps us from spending eternity apart from God, but it empowers how we live. So when Paul looks at the gospel and he's like, your life should not be spent clearing a low bar. The gospel has Iron Man effects on you. This is the gospel. So he wants us to fully realize the gospel. And so the phrase I want to give us this weekend is the phrase of let's be gospel strong. Okay? We're saved by the gospel. Life preserver. But we stand 
on the gospel and are strengthened by the gospel and empowered by the gospel, kind of like Iron Man. I know some weird things happen in Iron Man 3. Don't email me, okay? All right. So look at Romans 16, 25. Now to him, here it is, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now listen, some of you, this is news. Because some of you, you're like, no, 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 gospel. The gospel saves me. I was saved by the gospel when I was eight. I was saved by the gospel this weekend at Disciple Now. I was saved by the gospel at youth camp. I, I was saved by the gospel when I was 35. True, but don't stop. Gospel strong. We're also strengthened by the gospel. To live the life God has in store for us. All right? I want to ask you to do something if you're able. We're going to read the gospel. This, the clearest, most distinct description of the gospel that I can find in all of Scripture. To honor that and to honor God's word as we pursue being gospel strong. Would you all stand with me as we read God's word? This is an act of worship. This is an act of surrender. This is an act of God. We are under the authority of the gospel. So I read this over us. For I pass, this is Paul, on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to all five, to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles." Not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Second repeat of that phrase. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may sit down. Thank you so much for doing that and honoring the word of God. So even as I read that, you notice two things. There's undeniable facts, crucified, buried, they witnessed him put in the tomb, raised, 500 more eyewitnesses saw him resurrected, and Paul even dares them. He's like, some of them have already died, but you can go ask them yourself. They're eyewitnesses. Jesus rose again. Undeniable facts. I tell people all the time, there's six accounts of an empty tomb that we have written records of. They'll put stuff in your kid's social studies book if they got two, okay? So we're doing pretty good. It's undeniable facts. Jesus rose from the dead. But he also includes in there application of those facts. Forgiveness of sin. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I worked hard. I was energized, and I did not receive it in vain. I wasn't the Japanese soldier still fighting a battle that had been lost in his perspective or from his vantage point 29 years ago. See, I think there's some of you here this weekend, and you're, you're fighting a battle that's already been won for you. You're fighting a an enemy that's already been defeated for you by Jesus in the gospel. So let's get gospel strong. Here we go. First thing, as we appropriate the gospel into our lives, the victory, the achievement of the gospel. First thing is this, for, to, for to be gospel strong, we have to believe that the gospel is most important. Correct and full application of the good news. That's what we mean. 
correct application and complete application of the good news. Now, I want to give us grace here. We will never arrive at full understanding, appreciation, or application of the gospel. We'll spend eternity marveling at the gospel. That's why Jesus in heaven is still seen as the crucified lamb, okay, because of the power and the implication of the gospel. But this is what we're moving to because we're going to believe the gospel is most important. We said about a year ago at Rockbridge that we wanted to be a radically gospel-centered church. We said, uh, you know, a lot of people wanted us to be a politically-centered church. A lot of people wanted us to be, let's speak out against certain social issues church. And we will when they intersect the gospel and they intersect the word of God. A lot of people wanted us to, you know, address every social issue every Sunday. A lot of people got all hung up about COVID. And we reminded ourselves a year ago, we will preach one thing every single week, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because, because... If the Word of God says it is most important, how many other things can be more important than the gospel? None. None. Now, here's where we have to lean in. And here's where we have to understand some things about the gospel, if we're to stand upon it. There is a difference between believing in the gospel and standing upon it. There's a difference between believing that Japan surrendered in 1945 and choosing to still fight for 29 more years. There's a difference between knowing the facts of the gospel and standing upon those facts as the very basis for your life, as the most important part of your life, okay? So what Paul is asking and pushing and encouraging us to do is to understand something. Everybody here builds your life upon something. Everybody here, your life is being built upon something. You are standing upon something as you walked in here. What I mean by standing upon, it's your significance. It could be your identity. It could be your hope. It could be your priority. It could be your pursuit, your aim, your ambition. But everybody is standing upon something. You don't even have to be a Christian, and you're standing upon something. You don't have to even be a spiritual person. You're still standing upon something. And Paul says it is more than a life jacket that God threw you. It is is something that is of most importance to how you stand and how you live and how you breathe and how you face tomorrow. So everybody is building their life upon something. Now the world's invitation of what to build your life upon looks good, smells good, often feels good, but it's a deception. But it's a deception. I'll tell you a story about me. Part of my, part of my journey is I used to, and in and, and my worst moments even to this day, 48 years old, build my identity around what I did and how well I did it. And did I get attaboys for doing it? I, I, my identity was I am what I do. So I'm in my junior year at the Naval Academy doing this thing in the summer, and the military grades you for everything. You get a grade for everything. You get a, a performance evaluation for everything you do, right? And uh, in this particular deal, you were graded one, two, or three, one being high, two being middle, and three being low. So I, I had to go into, like, basically my boss, my, my senior officer. I had to go into to his office or his room. And as I was in there, our evaluations were lying on the desk. You know, but when your identity is not built on the gospel, when your identity is built on what you do and how well you do it and do you get attaboys for how you do it, when you see that line on the desk, man, that's the gospel to you. That's what you're standing upon. So I made eyes on it. And it said three, which is low. I still remember how poorly I slept that night. I still remember 
how stressed out and anxious I was because, man, if I'm a three, I don't know who I am anymore. Now, two things, two things. Number one, I misread it, okay? It wasn't true. Some of you are misreading what to build your life upon. But secondly, why was I stressed about what a person who put something on a piece of paper said about me when the blood of Jesus and the empty tomb of Jesus tells me where I need to stand? Invitation of the world is a deception, but everybody builds their life upon something. Sort of like the parable Jesus told, you can build your house, your life on two things, right? You can build it on a rock, or you can build it on the sand. Paul says, saved by the gospel, stand on the gospel, be gospel strong. So we never, ever graduate from the gospel. 21-year-old Matt Evans became a Christian when I was eight, was not standing on the gospel. Stressed, restless, afraid, felt lost. You know why it makes you feel lost? You don't know who you are. The gospel tells us all those things, gives us all those things. It's what makes it not just news, but good news. Now, here's the good news for some of us here today. You can always come back to the gospel. If it was of first importance, most importance, in 1974, or 1945, or 1983, or 2001, it's of most importance today, and you can always come back to the gospel. The second part of being gospel strong that we talked to, that, that comes out of the text that we stood to read is the gospel tells us who we are. The gospel gives us a who and a why. A who and a why. The gospel tells us who we are. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And Paul says, I worked harder than any of them. He had a why. He had a purpose. He had a sense of significance. I, I want you, and then he says he worked harder. Think about how much energy people put into searching for themselves. Well, how much energy people put into searching for their passion and their purpose. How much energy people have to put in navigating a midlife crisis. How much energy teenagers put into trying to figure out who I am. And do I go with the crowd? Do I try to fit in? Who am I? Who am I not? Who am I without my parents around all the time? Who am I when I get the freedom of a car? Who am I when I turn 18? Who am I when I turn 21? Why do I exist and why am I here? We put so much energy into searching for something that's already been settled. See, for Christ followers who are gospel strong, we're not searching for who we are or why we're here. Those are settled matters. So our energy can go to what is of most importance. That's why Paul could work hard. Think about our Japanese guy. 29 years fighting a futile battle that had already been decided. Some of us are fighting a battle that has already been decided. It was decided the day that stone rolled away and Jesus walked out. Okay? Gospel strong. People who are gospel strong, the things of this world aren't as enticing and aren't as alluring. I'll never forget Mark Rickman, who was the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. They upset the Auburn Tigers down on the plains. They stick a microphone in his face. 
And, and, and started talking about the victory, you know, coach, coach, coach. And he, and he said, praise the Lord. And the reporter said something like, yeah, especially after you won. And he goes, no, we're going to praise the Lord no matter what. You know why we're going to praise the Lord no matter what? Because he's always won. He always will win. And when we stand upon the gospel, we win too. We win too. So listen, gospel's strong. We know who we are. We know why we are. Now, we can start to feel weak because we're fragile and we're finite and we're leaky. So listen to me. When you feel weak, you don't need more of you. You need more of God. So you don't graduate from that gospel. You come back and stand upon, stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's going to shift tactics. He's been talking positively about the positive effects of the resurrection. So now he's going to switch, and he's going to say, okay, some of you, talking to the Corinthians, don't believe in the resurrection. Let's, just, let's go there. What if there is no resurrection? What if Jesus stayed in the tomb? Now, it's undeniable that he came out of that tomb. It's undeniable that he rose from the dead, but let's just go there and let's extrapolate what would, be, what would happen, what would occur if the resurrection did not occur. This is where he goes to. He says, well, whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have believed. He's like, it doesn't matter who preaches to you. If we're preaching good news that you believe upon, it still has its effect. It doesn't matter who tells you the Lord has won, the grave is empty. It doesn't matter who tells you that. It's the content of that that's the truth and the power that becomes good news to us. Okay? That's what he's saying. But then he says, now, okay, okay, okay. Now, if, we, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So here's Paul's concern. His concern is that people are getting cut off from the power source. People's foundation is being replaced from the rock to the sand. So Paul's concern is this. The gospel does this. We're going to go back to this and low bar lie and have low bar living and low bar future. Okay? When we have gospel Iron Man for us, in us, through us. So here's what he goes. All right. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. There's that little phrase again, in vain, ineffective. You're still fighting. The war's been over since 45, but you're going to fight through the 50s, fight through the 60s, fight till 74, 29 years later, in vain. And if our proclamation is in vain, so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. No loved ones that you'll see or be reunited with. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, our life expectancy, our biological life expectancy, we should be pitied more than anyone. So one of the ways that Paul is trying to help them be gospel strong is he says, okay, 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 consider the alternatives. Okay, if the dead are not raised, if Jesus was not raised, if the victory hasn't been won, if the tomb is not really empty, 
What are you going to stand upon in, instead? If the dead are not raised, if Jesus is not raised, who are you going to rely upon? What are you going to hope in? What, you're going to spend your life doing what? You're going to go with what's trending on social media? You're going to go with the political, cultural currents that change? You're just going to live angry, cynical, bitter, frustrated? You're going to spend your life pursuing temporary pleasures that might end up in long-term bondage? You're going to find your identity in what people say about you and people are fickle? You're going to find your identity in what you can do until someone can do it better than you? You're going to find your identity in what you have until you lose what you have? So consider the alternatives. Okay, if you don't want to believe, if you don't want to believe the resurrection, or you don't want to stand upon the gospel and then make it good news for you, consider your alternatives. Like the Japanese soldier for 29 years. What are you fighting? It's over. Jesus used this tactic. In John chapter 6, Jesus teaches something that's pretty hard. It's basically like, hey, Give me the steering wheel of your life, that kind of message. Surrender, that kind of message. And so a lot of these people that were with him started leaving him, deserting him. So he looks at his, uh, his 12. Many disciples turned and deserted him. And he turned to the 12 and he said, are you going to leave too? Like, Go ahead and walk away. Jesus ain't going to force you to stay. He's not going to force you to stand. And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Undeniable fact applied to their lives, which is now eternal life. See, uh, uh, listen to me. I, I don't want to lie to anybody. Life is hard. Christianity doesn't always make this life easier. There's times in my faith journey where the only thing that kept me from staying and standing on the gospel, where else am I going to go? When the doctor says, your wife has leukemia, where else am I going to go? When people make fun of you for how you look or how you dress, where are you going to go? When you realize drugs, alcohol, and sex don't make you happy, but for a moment, where can you go? To the good news of the gospel. So Paul completes that. Consider the alternatives. He completes that with this. So consider the alternatives and stand now with confidence because, radical of, uh, because of radical dependence upon Christ and his gospel. We're confident, not with self-confidence. Remember Paul said, his grace, not me, but his grace works through me. His gospel works through me. You know, yeah, we're Iron Man, but it ain't our power, it's his. Right? It's not... Uh, it's not our good works keeping the shrapnel of sin from sending us to hell. It's the blood of Jesus keeping it away from us, right? So we're gospel strong because we've considered the alternatives. Where else am I going to go? 
But I'm radically dependent upon Christ and his gospel. Yes, it's my life jacket in the sea of sin and the storm of a fallen world, but it's also my power source, my identity, my who and my why. I close with this. So we used to get to go to Ethiopia every year. Carl and I became good friends going to Ethiopia every year. And we'll hopefully we'll get back. We still partner over there financially and in prayer like we do all over the world. So we go to this prayer service about every year when we're over there. So this is 2017. It's about six years ago. And every time I'm over there, there's a guy named Gurma who has the gift of prophecy. And during this prayer service, he usually gives me a word of prophecy. But he doesn't say anything that I, he, does, he speaks to me, I know, the way that God has, usually speaks to Matt Evans, which is he comes and he just say, here's a scripture I feel like God's put on my heart to share with you. And, that, and, and, you know, again, scripture's our authority, it's our source. So he comes up to me through a translator, 2017, he says, uh, the storm, Matthew 8, and it's Matthew 8, 24 through 27, all right? The storm and the Sea of Galilee, there's a storm that rises up. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. His sailor, his disciples are all fighting the storm, fighting the storm. They get frustrated because Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up, and he's like, you know, calms the storm. He's like, why are you worried? You have little faith. So uh, because that prophecy, or, uh, that word of God to me meant so much to me, I bought this painting. Now, it's, uh, the, the real painting is about $100 million. I didn't do that, okay? Uh, this is a Rembrandt. It was actually stolen from a museum in Boston in the early 90s. It's never been recovered. Never been recovered. So it's a picture of Matthew 8, Jesus in the Sea of Galilee. So you see the storm up here in the bow of the boat. And this is Jesus, and Rembrandt painted the light on him. And these guys are up here stressing. One guy's over here puking. That'd be me, right? And, and, and then Jesus has the most, if you can't see it, but he has the most serene face right here because he's not worried. Being gospel strong means you look to Jesus. You don't look to yourself. You don't look at the storm. You look at the one who's over the storm. And his strength and his peace and his serenity becomes your peace and your serenity. He said that to me in 2017. I had no idea some of the storms that were ahead of the church or in our world, 2020, things like that. But as soon as he said it to me and I went back and got into the Word of God, I realized, and I wrote this in a journal and still have it, no matter what's going on around you, you've got to look in the face of Jesus who's in the boat with you. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Now, what's crazy about the way Paul writes his letters is he always has a way of exalting Christ and pointing our attention squarely upon the one who sleeps during the storm and wakes up and is not bothered by the storm, Jesus the Christ. So in 1 Corinthians, he shares the gospel, what's of utmost importance. In 1 Timothy, he says he's the king, the only king, eternal, immortal, invisible. We look to Christ. In Colossians, it says he's before all things, and by him all things hold together. You look to Christ. In Philippians, he's the name above all names. So you look to Christ, and you're saved. You look to Christ, and you stand. And you look to Christ. And you be strong in the gospel of Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? I just want to invite you to look to Christ. I don't know how you need to look to Christ for courage, for strength, for peace. Some of you need to look to Christ for salvation and standing upon the good news. But I'm going to give us a little space right now, just in the stillness of this room, in the stillness of our souls, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Turn and look in the face of the one who sleeps in the storm, but is in the boat with you as you ride it out. Look to Christ on the cross and never again doubt his love for you. Look to the Christ of the resurrection, of the empty tomb, and never question his overcoming power to enable us all not only to be saved, but to stand and be gospel strong. Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead us and guide us because we look to you the author of our salvation, and the captain of our souls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.